0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
1: Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org
2: to learn more.
0: This is MPB News.
3: Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, March 31st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a Gulf Coast mayor is taking steps in his city to safeguard against coronavirus spread from Louisiana. And how the state's agriculture industry is keeping shelves stocked. Then, despite strict lockdowns, families are still finding ways to connect with loved ones in nursing homes. Plus, the effects of social distancing in Mississippi's intellectually disabled community. That's on Mississippi Edition, MPB Think Radio. The COVID-19 pandemic in Mississippi has resulted in 847 confirmed cases to date, and local leaders at the state and municipal level are implementing strategies to flatten the curve. Mike Smith is mayor of Waveland in Hancock County, where the Mississippi Department of Health has reported 15 cases. It's also an hour's drive along I-10 from the southeastern epicenter of the coronavirus in new orleans mayor smith tells our ashley norwood his city is addressing concerns by taking measures to limit gatherings
2: many of our residents uh, are are homeowners that use wayland and and the coach as a secondary home uh, so the ones that are not coming here for that are concerning. Mm-hmm. the um the spring breakers that and you can see the I have personally in groups of kids, uh, but it's it's those that that concern me, not the people who live here.
3: Have you seen a lot of Louisiana car tags around town more than usual, would you say?
2: I have. uh, It's been a little, it's been an increase over what I've seen. Um, But again, it's as many local people with their families that are here, Versus the Louisiana tags that I've seen.
3: Are there any particular precautions in Waveland that may be different from other cities, um, or even different from what the governor has ordered?
2: Yeah, we. Uh, I will say this: that all of the coast cities and counties, uh, and uh, second to that is the our local county and the three cities within it all speak with the same voice and so and we made that commitment in the beginning that whatever we decided to do we decided to do it all at the same time uh even though that pretty much uh, hasn't occurred exactly across the coast um the same message that um you know harrison county has more of a um, issue with spring breakers coming in than Her- than hancock County does, mm. but we're all, um, you know, we took the, the measures Saturday a week ago to close down the bars, no sit-down restaurants, no groups of 10 or more housed up at, you know, any any uh, event, we closed down any and all events. We uh, closed all of our public buildings, um, public facilities, outdoor restrooms. Uh, all those things we uh, put in place Saturday a week ago, uh, and it seems to be—I'll uh, say this—as much media coverage that there's been on this virus. I think everybody is using the precaution. Uh, I, I would like to stress, uh, and beyond stress, that if people would that are concerned, that are afraid, or frightened, um, you know, we need more about the mental health. Uh, make sure that you keep yourself busy. You stay in, in video contact with your family, friends, whoever. But also, to just stay home if you don't need to get out. Stay home. And if you do get out, I mean, for a car ride, that's fine. But don't come in contact with anybody. Um, and then the, the quicker that we all do this, I think the, the quicker that we can uh, slow or prevent this from going any further.
3: All right. Mike Smith, Mayor of the City of Waveland. Thank you so much, Mayor Smith. We really appreciate your time.
2: Okay. Thank you all so much.
3: Next, how the state's agriculture industry is keeping shelves stocked. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Grocery stores have seen a large increase in sales over the past several weeks. People have been rushing to stock up on food and supplies during this coronavirus outbreak. MPB's Kobe Vance talks with Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce about how the state's agriculture industry is keeping shelves stocked.
0: Of course, we saw the uh, grocery shelves empty very quickly and a lot of people uh, were calling asking that we are going to have enough food and of course the The answer to that, thankfully, is uh, here in America, we are so blessed to have a strong agriculture supply of of our food, fiber, and shelter, and there's no risk of that running out because we do produce far more than we could ever consume as a country and as a state. So we're we're glad for that. But uh, one of the results has been uh, that, uh, of course, uh, it's been difficult uh, for uh, families to get uh, different types of foods that they want to get. the supply chains have been uh, pressured, and for the same reasons that it's taking longer for trucks to, to keep the the shelves stocked at the grocery stores, it's it's harder in some cases for our farmers to get some supplies that they need.
4: What do things look like for uh suppliers trying to get things to grocery stores?
0: Well, yeah, we uh, the truckers are running uh, and nonstop. Uh, we have a, a team of uh, inspectors that go out into our grocery stores that inspect obviously uh, the the country of origin labeling and things like that and consumer safety. And so we get reports uh, where, for example, uh, one truckload a week would have been sufficient at a grocery store for bread, let's say a truckload delivery a week at the beginning of the week. Now they're seeing two and three truckloads in that same time frame because of the fact people are just really buying more basic food supplies. Uh, and I'll tell you another really interesting thing. You might not think about the dairy industry, which has been hurting for, for years now, really one of the most uh, uh, negatively impacted industries in agriculture today uh, due to a whole host of variety of issues. But, but the interesting thing is people are buying a whole lot of milk. They, they were not buying milk. They might have been buying some uh, alternative, some plant-based products. But now people are going to the shelves, and they are cleaning out the, the, uh, the dairy case. So uh, that's a good thing for the dairy industry. But bread, milk, you know, uh, butter, cheese, rice, we can't keep rice on the shelves. Uh, people are buying rice and putting it back. So I've been telling people, you know, don't hoard. All hoarding does is increases the price for, for everybody. And uh, we don't have a risk of running out of food. It's just a matter of keeping that food supply chain rolling and the shelves full. So buy what you need for a week or two, and uh, we'll get through this.
4: I know. I also want to go on that topic of you mentioned, like how it's helping the dairy industry. Do you think this, like the increased demand of food right now, is going to help help bolster the Mississippi's agricultural industry?
0: Oh, I think in the long term, uh, definitely what it shows us is uh, agriculture has never been more important than it is right now. It's never been less important, but I think in the mind of the average consumer now, people are uh, really bringing home the reality of how, how critical our farmers are. That our farmers are our first line of defense in terms of producing food, vibrant shelter for us as a country. And, uh, you know, we've all, we, we can give up different things and we can make sacrifices in different areas, but we all have got to eat, and I think that has really come home. I think it's going to be a long-term uh, boost to the agriculture industry, although I will say that um, a lot of these price, you may see price increases at the grocery shelf. Uh, I can give you an example of meat. Right now, people are, my goodness, if people have a freezer, they are stocking that thing with meat and uh I talked to a little country store the other day that said they had sold $40,000 worth of ground uh, beef hamburger meat just in one day last week. Uh, but the result of that is an immediate increase of price at the grocery uh, counter. Uh, our farmers are not seeing that increase in the price. Our cattlemen are not seeing that increase in, in cattle uh, crisis. So it's going to take some time, but I think in time there will be a long-term benefit uh, as as we get to the other side of this crisis.
3: Andy Gibson is the Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce. Coming up, despite strict lockdowns, families are still finding ways to connect with loved ones in nursing homes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Nursing homes in Mississippi have been closed to visitation for weeks to protect elderly and vulnerable residents from the coronavirus. But as MPB's Kobe Vance reports, families are finding ways to connect with their loved ones.
4: Michelle Rawls of Madison is visiting her mother in the nursing home.
3: How are you today?
4: But she's visiting her standing on the outside.
3: See, she
5: talking. <laughs> she talking. <laughs> hey, girl. Hey, Mother.:
4: No visitors are allowed inside the nursing home, so Rawls is talking to her mother through a glass door.:
5: If I can just get a focus, Hey, Hey, mama.
4: Her mom has Alzheimer's and has been in a nursing home for just over two years. The outbreak of the coronavirus has restricted nursing home visits across the state. Rawls and her family have been rotating visits with their mother every day. They normally assist with her meals and laundry.
5: She's used to us being there, I can touch her, and she knows that I'm there. So it's just like a, a emptiness, not being able to be their hands on.
4: Rawls says the changes in nursing home visits caught her family off guard.
5: Oh my goodness, it's a big change because we are normally there around the clock. There's someone always there, feeding her, assisting with her. I mean, it's a huge change, um, and, and, it, and it was a change that we weren't pre- we wasn't prepared for.
4: Now. Visiting and talking to her mother through a glass door has become the new normal.
5: And it's difficult because, like I said earlier, she can't communicate. But we call the nursing home and we let them know that we're outside. And then they'll push her to the lobby door where we can kind of communicate with us.
4: Rawls and her family aren't alone. The CDC advised hospitals and long-term care facilities to carefully monitor visitation to prevent the disease from entering the facilities. People over 65 or with compromised immune systems are at an increased risk of severe outcomes from COVID-19. Alicia Tice is with Strategic Management, a company that assists healthcare facilities in complying with new regulations. The Mississippi Gulf Coast saw an early spike in virus cases, and Tice is working with Memorial Driftwood Nursing Center of Gulfport to keep families informed throughout the outbreak.
5: The fear is out there. It's in the community. People are kind of overwhelmed with COVID-19 news to begin with. Family members are concerned. We have kept in really good communication with them. We sent out a letter to begin with and let them know the alternate ways that they could communicate with the residents in the facility. But we, we do get phone calls still. We do get questions. They are nervous. They are concerned.
4: Kyle Lewis, with Senior Care at Memorial Hospital, believes it's important for families to stay connected during the outbreak. There's different avenues with iPads, FaceTime being one of them. And we're fortunate to here at Driftwood where we do have great outside areas on the deck that are in keeping with the space requirements where at least the loved ones can see their family members, too. So we just know that's very important, so we want to provide that avenue.
5: <laughs> look at look at, That was funny to her. <laughs>
4: look. <laughs> Michelle Rawls of Madison says this has been an adjustment to how she spends time with her mother. But she appreciates the precautions to keep her safe.
3: Keeps us coming back. It's the love we have for her. You know, and knowing that, you know, with
5: all of this is going on, I mean, I may not be able to put my hands on her physically, but if I can put my eyes on her, I can tell whether or not she's okay. So it's the vital monitoring that plays a part in that because just like I know my children, I know my mom.
4: It's unknown when nursing homes will be able to open their doors again to visitors. But Rawl says she will be excited when she can hold her mother again.
5: When I get to hold her again, I'm just going to kiss on her, I'm going to lap on her, I'm do all of the above.
4: Until then, Rawls and her family will keep visiting their mother and talking to her through the glass doors of the nursing home. Kobe Vance, MPB News.
3: Coming up, the effects of social distancing in Mississippi's intellectually disabled community. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The coronavirus pandemic has caused many people to adjust their daily lives in order to adhere to social distancing guidelines. But for some, the adjustment is far more profound than avoiding the crowded gym or juggling work and homeschooling. For Mississippi's intellectually disabled community, these measures have turned the world upside down for many. Matt Knocker is the executive director of the ARC of Mississippi. He says he worries for the 160 individuals under the ARC's support.
1: Probably the number one challenge we've seen so far is the change in routine. You know, we celebrate as a person centered organization when we connect people to community. We work really hard to talk about how important it is for people to have natural supports, you know, outside of people that are being paid to be with them. And that has all just been 100% decimated. And uh, it's, you know they have a lack of understanding why they can 't get in and go on the van and go to a day program or gone to a job or gone to you know just what we all want to go to is a, is a is a meaningful day and that meaningful day and the planning around a meaningful day is just non existent anymore
3: Have you been so, able to start making long range plans for the arc?
1: Um,
3: <laughs> or is it just day to day trying to get through this?
1: You know, we have a supported decision making program. Uh, we're an alternative to guardianship, so we're—I'm actually the guardian for or supported decision maker for 160 people that are in various programs around the state that have no one else, no one else in their life. They're in, you know, ICF, ICF, IDD programs, group homes. They're in institutions. They're in community homes. So we're making proactive calls to all of them. You know, the awareness around our population of folks and, uh, and for, for example, I'm trying to get to a man by the name of Lindarius. who's a person, and I don't know how specific we can get on this, but he's a person that we've been working with for some, quite some time. Just last week called me, I'm in supported decision maker, Mr. Matt, I, I got a job, you know, I'm working eight hours a week, three days a week, three hours a day, nine hours a week or something like that. And, uh, They're wanting to give me more work and all this. He's in the Hattiesburg area. So this week, Mr. Matt, I don't have any money. They tell me I can't come back to work. What am I going to do? And then I think, well, we're going to make sure that he files for unemployment. Well, he can't just walk into any unemployment office. He has to be supported to go and do and understand that process. I've got several folks like that. A guy here in the Jackson area is very similar. You know, they're high-functioning folks in our world, but certainly a person that needs support to be successful out there in the community. And they certainly need the shot in the arm that everybody else, you know, to, to pick this economy back up. I mean, our folks need money to stay in that apartment that we celebrate that they're in, to pay for the lights and the, the food and all of the other things that it takes to, to live a, a life in the community. So uh, it's really important over these next weeks, months, years, however long this thing lasts to make sure our folks have a voice out there and that are, purposefully included in any of these uh, ideas that are coming out of Washington or even out of our state to make sure that people with disabilities are at the top of the list of folks that are in need of support
3: it sounds like you may have to redesign your mission your purpose
1: oh it, it is it is certainly all the conversations and then you're you know we're learning to you know human service world is about touching humans so to learn to create zoom meetings and to work through the technical difficulties of not having folks in a room uh is certainly a challenge for us and we've we've been working on that for the last couple of weeks as well so when you say any and all of it's being worked on it's, it's certainly drinking from a water hose right now to 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 again keep the people that we claim to represent the center of our mission and purpose. And uh, again, for those folks that are out of their, their routine, uh, that's been a part of our process all along. What I mean, the the arts process as a person centered organization is about, you know, if we do anything as far as mentoring or, you know, all of our training is about coming up with a, you know, a community calendar. Let's have a meaningful day. Let's do all of this routine and, and get folks plugged into the community. That is just absolutely a strategy that can no longer uh, be utilized, and it's, it's taken that out of our toolkit, so to speak.
3: Well, your challenges are great. I thank you for being with us. Matt Knocker is the executive director of the ARC of Mississippi. Matt, we wish you the best. Yes, ma'am. Rebecca Treadway, another ARC director, is mother to Ethan, a moderately functioning teenager on the autism spectrum. She says the disruption of routine has been the hardest adjustment for her son.
5: The break in the schedule has been difficult for him to adjust to, having to explain exactly what this virus is and help him try to understand what's happening. The uncertainty of how long it's going to last has been very difficult he likes things to be definite if he is always asking how much longer because he'd like me to be able to say in two weeks time this will be over. Um, so he wants a measured response that we can't give him. Uh, it's difficult to fill the hours of the day that uh, the school is taking up and getting him to be productive and not just like typical kids just want to sit in front of the TV or their video games and uh, have to work hard for that not to happen for him.
3: What did he do outside or aside from school? An activity that he maybe he enjoys a lot that he can't do now. Uh, the majority
5: uh, he attends church, so uh, we aren't going to church the way we used to. And then also the activities that we did through the Arc, um, and both of those organizations are trying to. Uh, fill the hole by doing online activities or through Zoom or through Skype.
3: Have you been able to convey to him how long this might last, or is that too hard to try, And or are you trying to (laughs) keep that from him? I guess I am trying to keep it
5: from him for the most part. He does know that in DeSoto County, our date is like the schools, maybe it's April 15th or something, that another decision will be made at that time. So uh, that's the date that we're shooting for, and then I'm guessing on that Friday date, whatever it is, that I'll be able to say to him, no, you know, I guess it's going to be longer than that if it's going to be longer, uh, and deal with his anger that will come at that time. So for, for right now, <laughs> that's the date we're shooting for. Another, another hard thing is, um, you know, we're trying to explain don't touch your face. Well, to it's, it's easier to a typical 15-year-old to explain don't touch your face, but to, to him it's much, much harder Okay, don't touch your face. Don't put your hands down because
3: he forgets. Does Ethan have friends that he can communicate with through Zoom or some other uh, some other way, FaceTime or something?
5: Well, uh, as part of Ethan's disability, he is not especially social. Um, we will do uh, Zoom meetings with his therapy group and with the social groups that we have at the ARC. Um, he doesn't... Feel the loss of that as keenly as other kids would because of his disability. Although if you ask him, he just had to do an assignment for English where they asked him what was the hardest part. And he did mention in it that he missed seeing
3: his friends at school. Rebecca Treadway is the executive director of the ARC Northwest Mississippi and mother to Ethan. Thank you so much, Rebecca.
5: You are so welcome. It was wonderful to talk with you.